Hey everybody, welcome, welcome. We're so glad that you've joined us for this conversation tonight. We're gonna be talking about the phenomenon of deconstruction and what relation that might have to the contemporary Christian music industry. So at first, I just wanna make a few introductory comments about deconstruction. So there's different ways to define deconstruction and different people define it in different ways. But the way we're gonna be taking a look at it tonight is from a sort of a broad level and what it looks like when it's kind of played out in the practical world. And so uh, how it looks is uh, very often we've seen over the last year or two, uh, highly platformed Christians, many from the CCM industry, begin to question their faith, and they'll put a post on social media saying, look, I had these questions, or this uh, is something I've been thinking about. And essentially, uh, by the end of it, they have gone through a process where many of the beliefs that they grew up with and maybe never questioned critically um, or intellectually are picked apart and often rejected. Now, not everybody who goes through a process of deconstruction uh, becomes an atheist or an agnostic. Some do, and some come back to maybe a more progressive type of Christianity. Uh, in, in rare cases, some will reconstruct back to uh, a, a more historically Christian faith that uh, has the historic Christian gospel at its center. Uh, but very often, it's just more of a broader spirituality or agnosticism or atheism. And so we've seen this phenomenon happen. And so I'm so excited to introduce you to my guest today because all of us sort of have a unique insider perspective into the contemporary Christian music industry. And so as I bring everyone on, what I'd like to start with is have everybody just share a little bit about your background, maybe how you came to faith and what your relationship with contemporary Christian music is. And I'll just, I'll start with me. So my name is Elisa Childers and I grew up in a Christian home. I am the daughter of who many people refer to as one of the pioneers of the contemporary Christian music industry. My dad is Chuck Gerard and he was in a band called Love Song. And so in the late 60s, early 70s, he was a hippie who was searching for God or searching for some sort of a transcendent reality. And he was doing that through psychedelic drugs. He was, uh, he explored through Buddhism, Eastern mysticism, uh, the Urantia book, Timothy Leary, all, all kinds of stuff. He was trying to find if there was a God. And he heard the very simple gospel at a little church called Calvary Chapel in Southern California. And he put his faith in Christ and he surrendered his life to Christ. And then other members of his band started becoming Christians. And as they became Christians, they started singing about the, uh, the new faith that they had found. They were singing their Jesus songs. Now, back then, there was no contemporary Christian music industry. And so nobody thought that this could ever be a career. Nobody ever thought that you could make money doing this or become famous because there just really wasn't a category for it. And so early in my dad's career, the music executives came in and sort of capitalized on these Jesus songs and uh, turned the whole thing into a business. And so I, I kind of bristle a little bit when people say he was a pioneer of, of CCM, because really I think what he was a, one of the pioneers of was the idea that you could communicate the gospel and your faith through contemporary music like rock and roll. And so growing up, I grew up with a touring dad who was a contemporary Christian music artist. And so I saw kind of the good, bad, and the ugly with that. 
I went into the business myself and was a part of the group Zoe Girl, and we were together from around 99 until about 2007. And so that's my relationship to CCM, but my relationship to deconstruction goes even a little deeper. So after Zoe Girl came off the road, my husband and I started attending a church in Middle Tennessee. And after about eight months of attending there, the pastor invited me to be a part of a, of a inner circle type study and discussion group. And I tell this whole story in my book, Another Gospel, and I have other videos on my channel that you can check out for the, the deeper story. But the long uh, shot of it is, is that uh, the pastor deconstructed Christianity in this class. And as a result, I went through my own process of deep, deep doubt. Um, it was a dark night of the soul that of the soul that was indescribably painful, uh, indescribably terrifying, um, destabilizing, and disorienting. And looking back on it now, I can't really say that I deconstructed my faith, but in my case, it was really someone else who deconstructed me, who deconstructed my faith. And I cried out to God one night, and I just said, "God, if you're real, if if the gospel is true, um, then please send me a lifeboat," because I felt like I was drowning in doubt. And it was through intellectual study, it was years of reconstruction, and I came to the conclusion at the end of that that the core gospel that I was given as a child was true, that the Bible is God's word, that Jesus was physically resurrected from the dead, that he died on the cross for my sins, and that if I put my trust in him, then I would be reconciled to a holy God and be able to live with God forever in his presence and under his rule. And that is good news to me, because I knew the whole time that I was a sinner. And so that's my relationship to CCM and to the process of deconstruction. But I'd like to introduce you to uh, my next guest. This is John Cooper and Corey Cooper of the band Skillet. Many people uh, know their song Monster. I got to thank you guys because my kids discovered Skillet's music, and I've now heard the song Monster about <laughs> 795 times this week, and so I'm ready to take the show on the road with you guys, so <laughs> welcome. Tell us a little bit about each of you. Take a moment and tell us your, a bit of your story and your relationship to, to the business. Excellent, Elisa, and you know why, you know why I'm glad we're doing this? Because neither me or Corey had any idea that your dad was in Love Song. Come no on. way. What? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 what's going on? You've been holding back. You've been holding back on me now, but that's what, we'll talk about that when this is done. Anyway, it's great to be here. So uh, my name is John Cooper. This is my wife, Corey Cooper. She will okay. tell about herself in a second. But um, let's say we play in a band called Skillet. I think at this point, we're not just a rock band. We are a veteran rock band. That's oh, what they yeah, say. It's yeah. been We've been a band now for 550 years. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe 551. Yeah, anyway. Uh, veteran rockers, I always hear people say it, and I've always wanted to say it myself. Anyway, so um, I gave my life to Christ when I was a kid. My parents were Christians. My mom was a Jesus fanatic. And my mom taught me about the Bible ever since I was a young, I can't, I can't remember a day where my mom wasn't reading the Bible to me and, and, and making me memorize scriptures and things. And uh, so I gave my life to Christ when I was a kid. And one of the things my mom used to always tell me, we'll get into this later, I'm sure, and something else, but my mom used to always say, uh, she called me Johnny. Don't call me Johnny though. My name is John. I want to make it clear. But my mom could call me Johnny, but she would say, Johnny, your life is not your own. She would always say, your life is not your own. You don't belong to you. You belong to God. And that always made sense to me. I always believed that, that, that I am his creation. 
He is the creator. He's the boss, I might want to say. And uh, I always held on to that. And God has been so good to me um, in that I never had that that major falling away period that a, a, a lot of people do, or that major backsliding time. I God just always held me and the word of God has meant so much to me in my life. And so we started Skillet in 1996 and uh, we've been playing and touring ever since then. I'm passionate about music. I'm passionate about the gospel. I'm passionate about music being a, a, a vehicle to sing about what you are passionate about, you know? Uh, sort of like what you said about your dad. It's like, uh, I wasn't trying to write Christian songs. I'm writing songs from my heart. And I want these songs to help other people through what uh, they're going through. And I want it to point towards this amazing God that we all know. And so I think when I kind of started getting involved in the sort of things we're talking about tonight on this uh, live stream, when I started getting involved was a, a number of years ago, maybe eight years ago, when I began to notice that that a lot of us Christians or supposed Christians, we might be using the same words, but we're, but we're not talking about the same thing. And I used to take it for granted that, you know, Christians, we, we would use words like saved, sin, redemption, love. I thought that we were using those words and we all kind of agreed on what, what they meant. And when I started realizing that we're not in agreement upon them, that's when I started noticing the world really falling apart. And so that's why uh, I'm here tonight doing this live stream, because I, I want to try to help people who are quite confused of what's going on, because the gospel has held me. The word mm. of God has held me ever yeah. since I was a kid. He has never, ever let me down. And I want other people to have that same thing. You go. Yeah. yeah. My, <laughs> sto my story is uh, my, my parents, um, when I was born, I'm the second oldest. And when I was born, my parents were like, we want to raise her knowing God, but we don't know him. So we should probably do something about that. And my dad had been raised Catholic. My mom had been raised Lutheran, but neither of them were really practicing anything. And so they ended up becoming born again, giving their lives to Jesus. And it was a radical transformation of their lives. And so by the time I was five, I had given my life to Jesus. I'm like, hey, if the God of the universe actually wants to know me, <laughs> then I'm in because that seems amazing <laughs> to me. And I want to live my life for something that's eternal. You know, I don't I don't really want temporal pleasures. I want to invest myself in something that's going to make a difference for eternity in people's lives. I want to have God be a part of my life and use me in, in such a, a, an amazing way that, that only he can mm -hmm. to, to allow your life to impact many people and to see them freed and to see them full of peace and full of the life of God and to see them uh, redeemed and at peace with God, with the God of the universe. And so for me, that uh, my whole life has been like, I just want to live for him. I don't always know how to do that. So it's been like the process of sanctification in my life. Like, oh, wow, there's more junk in there. I don't love that. And I want to deal with it according to the word. Like, what does the word say I should be like? What are the fruits of the spirit? Do I have these things in my life? And if I don't, I'm the one who's got to do something about it. I got to get myself right. I got to repent. I got to like fall in line with the word bad attitude. You know, I'm a, a very feel type person, which, you know, usually you kind of like, I want to be real with how I feel and like show you my true feelings, but sometimes they're not great. So, and you could hurt people that way. So I'm like, oh, I didn't really realize that that was a thing. And so I want to be loving toward people, even if I don't feel like it right now. So that was kind of like revelation for me when I was younger. Um, and then I was like, you know, I want, I don't know what God has for my life. I don't care what it is. I just want him to use me. So if that means I'm cleaning toilets, that's cool with me because I know he'll put me wherever I can be most effective for his kingdom. Um, and then when I was 13, I felt like God speak to me 
um, that I was going to do something in music, didn't know what that was, didn't know what that would look like. But, you know, so I invested my time in, in practice, invested my time in studying theology, studying his word, because I thought, you know what, if you're going to be on a stage or in any position of influence, I, I just want him to be reflected. I want his ways to be reflected. I want people to know him and I want my junk to get out of the way mm. for that. And I want to be teaching them, you know, proper things about who he is. Um, and so then, yeah, jumped into the CCM world with Skillet in 98. And, you know, we've always had a heart for um, people who are not Christians and people who are Christians to see the bride of Christ, you know, rise up as as the pure, powerful bride that she is, like pouring your life out to serve others, to call out Jesus in them. So that was always part of the mission of Skillet in the CCM world. And then, of course, you know, outside of it, just to show people that God is real, Good. that his power is real and, and effective for their lives. It's beautiful. Well, I want to let anybody watching know that if you have questions for us, we're going to take some questions throughout this live stream. If you have a question, it would really help us if you put the word QUESTION in all caps in the chat box. That way, we'll uh, be able to overlook all of the chit-chat and get right to the to the questions that are being asked. And so we'd love to, to maybe, if we can help with something uh, that, that you're wondering about as it relates to deconstruction and the CCM industry, we'd love to just maybe give some insight as best we can. None of us are experts at, you know, any of this stuff. Uh, we're, we're not experts in deconstruction. We're not philosophers. But like you, we're concerned. We see what's happening. And I think because of our relationship with CCM and having worked inside of that, there might be some some connections that we might be able to make to help people understand what's going on. And so I'm, I'm excited for us to continue with the discussion tonight and hopefully accomplish that goal. But without further ado, I want to introduce you to my next guest. This is Jeremy Camp and his wife, Adrian Camp. I'm so glad that you guys have joined us today. And for those of you, I mean, a lot of people know Jeremy Camp. They know your music. But some people may not be aware that uh, Adrian Camp was in a, a band called Benjamin Gate. I actually met you, AD, before I, I met Jeremy because we were recording in the same studio. And I just remember thinking, who is this girl and this amazing rock and roll voice? And so that was my first memory of you as I just loved your rock voice. So welcome. I'm so glad you guys are here to join us for this discussion. Tell us about uh, each of you take a moment, tell us about your your testimony coming to faith and your relationship with CCM. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, you want to go first? You want to go? <laughs> no, go first. Okay. Yeah. Um, basically, uh, you know, first of all, John, I mean, I, I think the beard oil is what's kept you so young. You've been doing this for a long, long time. I was like a little kid when I first started listening to you. So anyway. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I was actually raised in a Christian home as well. And one of the things I loved about my family is that they really instilled a love for God's word for me. And I think it was one of the things that I carried on and I still carry on to this day, understanding that a love for God's word and his truth, uh, who he is in his word. And but I had my I love the word that you used um, earlier. Uh, I had my kind of time where the world became seductive to me and I started straying away, even though I feel like that. You know, I think I knew the Lord growing up. I had, you know, the ask the Lord in my heart when I was five, but not until I was 16 years old, I had strayed away and like that word seduction from the world came into play. I was drawn in, started thinking that these things were gonna make me happy or fulfill something in my life, or I was gonna experiment and say, this is gonna be something that I'm gonna enjoy for a while. It left me miserable, it left me empty. And I remember being in a youth camp. I went to youth camp in California and my, my whole goal for going was just to hang out. And as I got there, one of the first, I think the second night we were there, the first night God started doing something in my heart, I remember God is speaking to me very clearly and saying, Jeremy, I love you so much. 
you're on the edge of a cliff about ready to jump off and I want to use you, but you need to run as far away from the cliff as possible. And what was, what drew me back to Jesus and me straying away thinking that the world was going to lead me to something good was his kindness saying, I love you. I, I want, I am protecting you from going any further. It's like I was on the edge of the precipice of this kind of uh, dark place I was about to jump into and he rescued me. And that's what he does for all of us that when, when we're about ready to stray and get into a place where it's just dark, God's going, no, trust me. I, my life is so much more fulfilling than the world has to offer. And so at that point, I remember submitting my life to Jesus saying, I want to serve you with all of my heart. And God literally started to open up doors for me. I went out to Bible college and was just a beautiful time. I mean, God really started stripping away a lot of things in my heart while I was there. I realized that Man, and I, he still still does, but I realized some things that he was trying to, some deep things that I had allowed the, the world to kind of get into my heart. And so out of Bible college, God did a beautiful thing in my heart. I was ready to serve the Lord. And I'll make a long story short, because I'm going to share a little bit later my testimony um, even further. Mm -hmm. But I went through a, a hard time watching my wife suffer through cancer, and songs were birthed out of that. So I wrote a song called Walk by Faith on Our Honeymoon. I still believe after she went to be with the Lord, she went to be with Jesus, and it was a very rough time for me. And, you know, you, you only hear the story of me writing these songs of, of God's faithfulness and God's goodness, but didn't hear the wrestle, the major wrestle that I had. And so going through that wrestle, which I'll talk about a little bit later, in a sense, really questioning my faith, God revealed himself in such a beautiful way. And from that, more songs started pouring into my heart. And I basically signed a record contract. And that was about 20 years ago. And I've been doing this for 20 years. And my whole heart and my whole desire has been to share that going through this world, we're going to face suffering. I mean, John 15 says it. He says, you know, or John 16:33 says, I say these things to you, that you'll have peace in this world. You will face trials of many kinds. So he's already telling us that, guys, you're going to face trials. It's not going to be always an easy road. He goes, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And so for me, I've taken that and to share that, hey, guys, sometimes there's difficulties. It's a part of suffering. Where Paul says, I'm going to share in Christ's sufferings. So that's a part of the, That's almost like one of his prayers, Paul's prayers, to share in Christ's sufferings. But what happened from that is to say, but here's who God is. Here's what he provides. Here's the beauty of who Jesus is. Where else are you going to turn? And so my whole heart has been sharing God's goodness in the midst of hardship and in, in the midst of pain. So, anyway. so I was born and raised in South Africa and I was born into a Christian family and all my life just, I remember, I mean, the youngest memory I have is really loving Jesus. And I was always the little kid that I, I was raised in a charismatic church. And, and oftentimes it's like the call to full-time ministry probably happens every six months where <laughs> and I was always the kid running up ahead going, me, 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 like I want to be in full-time ministry. And I didn't even really know what that meant, but um, just kind of indicative of I love Jesus. I, I, I loved serving him. I had a really close walk with the Lord. And I also loved music, absolutely loved music. When I was 17, I joined a rock band called the Benjamin Gate. And right before my 18th birthday, so really young, we got signed to a record label and it was an American label. And they said, um, we will sign you, but you have to move to America to, um, you know, to tour and all of that stuff. So of course, for us as South Africans, we were like, absolutely America is the dream. And I remember before we left, our church leaders pulled us aside and said, hey, be careful. 
we've heard that um, the Christian music industry and just that kind of industry in general is um, can kind of chew you up and, and spit you out a little bit. And so they gave us this warning and I remember thinking, okay, I need to be careful and all that stuff, but I just, I don't know that I thought a whole lot more of that. Um, at that point, you know, we were all still fully in church and going to church on a regular basis. I didn't think anything, we were still in full community. But I came over to America with lots of big dreams and started touring like crazy. We were in a van and trailer for um, two and a half years and played nonstop, just really, really, really roughing it. I was a lot of times the only girl on the road, so very lonely. But um, my introduction into Christian music industry in touring is um, I saw a lot of, well, let me, let me back up and say this in South Africa, there isn't a Christian music industry. You literally play whatever there is. So we played clubs and bars, even though I was underage, nobody knew that, but, um, <laughs> I'd be playing <laughs> on stage and then have to get back as soon as I could, you know? But, um, so when I came to America, I was really, I had high hopes for the Christian music industry. And unfortunately I saw a massive amount of hypocrisy. Um, so many people that would be getting up on stage declaring the gospel and, and talking about how you should read your Bible and do all of these things. And then I would witness just um, such immorality backstage. And slowly but surely, it really began to chip away at my faith. And for about two and a half years, I really went through a stage of struggling and um, just questioning a lot. I, I remember when I met Jeremy, I told him, even though God had really started to do a work in, in my heart, um, I just told Jeremy, I, do, I don't want to read my Bible because I've seen the lives of people who do. And I love Jesus, but I don't like that. And so I'm kind of out on that whole sort of like religious thing. I love Jesus. I could take Jesus all day long. But, um, but what I had seen disturbed me and I think hurt me so deeply that it really caused such a sense of dis disillusionment. And, um, but the one day God spoke so clearly to my heart and just said, I was really, for those years, I think I experienced what it was like to be in the driver's seat of my own life. I made the decisions that I wanted to make. I did whatever I wanted to do. And I was really on the cusp of some pretty dangerous relationships and, um, just really, I think just felt such a tremendous amount of guilt and shame and, um, just. I guess the taste of what it was like to be my own boss in a sense. And I remember God just pulling me aside in my own heart and just said, this is not what I have for you. And I went into my room and I got on my knees and I just said, God, I know that you see everything and I know that I can't pretend. And so I'm not even going to pretend that I have a heart for you, that I have a heart for scripture, that I have a heart for everything, anything at all, but I need you to do a work in my heart. And so I'm willing and I'm available. And God met me so powerfully and just literally radically changed my life. And it was right around that time that I met Jeremy and I was still incredibly skeptical um, of, of a lot of, of what I had seen. But when I heard his story and I realized just the power of you don't stare death in the face and watch your wife suffer and die and come easily to the place of standing in front of everybody and declaring, I still believe like that's don't make that stuff up. And it was so authentic to me that I thought, okay, that's real. I can get behind that. And so that birthed Jeremy and my friendship and um, my band, we stuck around for a little bit longer after that. And then eventually we split up and I have since then in the last, well, 
18 years, I guess, just been a little bit more of a support role. I still sing from time to time, still somewhat involved in the music industry. But yeah, that's kind She's of... She's awesome. That's me in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And, you know, Jeremy, you mentioned your story of your, your wife dying of cancer. And I knew that that had happened, but I didn't know... Uh, that just the depth of the story until very recently. And um, I was just really stunned by the arc of that story because, you know, in the context of deconstruction, when you listen to deconstruction stories, um, many of them have some sort of um, a life event of suffering, like similar to what you went through, where they began to question God's goodness. And I think, you know, all of us have been there where things have yeah. happened and we've questioned God's goodness and even trauma. And, uh, you know, a couple years ago, we lost my nephew uh, to a drug overdose and it was so sudden and it was just, it was traumatic. And there were such dark moments of like, man, is this even real? Do, do, is Is everything I've believed my whole life just something I've believed to make me feel better. And, and and there's these questions that can happen. I think we see this reflected in scripture as well, in the Psalms and in Lamentations. We, we see people yeah. bringing their complaints to God, bringing their deepest groans of sorrow. And one of the things that really stood out to me, Jeremy, about your story is that Melissa... Uh, you had all really prayed for her to be healed. You believed she was going to be healed. And she had cancer, if I understand the story correctly, all throughout her body, in all of her major organs, and the prognosis was very grim. And God healed her. She was yeah. she was healed. And when you got married, she was 100% cancer-free. It was a miracle. Everybody was celebrating. And then shortly after your honeymoon, the cancer comes back, and she was gone not long after that. Now, I, and I have to read this from her website because I, I pulled this off her website today because I was so encouraged by it. Um, the announcement on the website says, um, at the age of 21, Melissa Camp went to be with Jesus. She joyfully worshiped and praised the Lord throughout her sickness until her last words. And um, I know that it was shortly after that, Jeremy, that you wrote the song, I Still Believe. And my question for you is, when you when you think about that's not just a normal trial like you have not only the 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 suffering that you would go through from losing a spouse that you love but you have almost this moment where you think god has healed i mean god healed her it's this miracle yeah. and then it's back and it doesn't end up the way you had prayed for and the way you had hoped i mean if there is a deconstruction story or a deconversion story i should say in the making it would be that one so my question to you is why do you think you wrote the song i still believe instead of posting on social media i don't believe anymore yeah first of all you know what i want to say to those who are watching as well and i know that you guys all feel the same way our heart behind this what we're doing mm -hmm. is that very thing yeah. that people so that are so hurt are running to things that are hurting them even more and i think that our heart's desire is to to say christ is the answer to everything we need mm -hmm. and we're not here to bash anybody we're not here to come down on anybody we're here to say jesus is the only way and the jesus of of the bible and who he is and his love and so i just wanted to like just throw that in there real quick because that's going through what I went through. My heart's desire so much is to, to, and I know that Christ, when, you know, he says, Jesus wept, there's a point where 
he wept seeing the pain of Mary and Martha. And, and, you know, people sometimes say, well, that was the unbelief of the people and whatever you want to say, his emotions of the emotions were there. He had compassion. And so, you know, for me, uh, you know, I, I think going through this whole thing, there was so many different dynamics and so many different layers to it because, you know, Melissa was, she loved Jesus with all of her heart. I mean, when the, when it says that she worshiped him till her final breath, I mean, you guys, at least as she would, and, and, you know, we talked about this before, she'd lay there with no strength whatsoever. And we, I'd be singing some worship songs because she wanted to, to sing worship and had no strength that would just raise her hand as high as she could because she wanted to, to do an act of surrender. She, no, she didn't need to. It wasn't like that she felt like if I don't do this, I'm not actually showing my surrender or my love for Jesus. That was what she wanted to do. She, she said, I don't care if I'm going through this suffering. I'm going to glorify Jesus. And so that was her. And so for me, we went through this whole thing of went through cancer and she was going through chemotherapy and we went and got tested. Or at one point, the doctors pulled us aside and said, hey, it's we got to take the uterus out, which meant that we weren't going to have kids. And so that was devastating because we both you know, love kids, wanted to have kids. And so we were just praying and really, I mean, on our knees, just we had people praying from all over. Just please, God, we, we don't want to enter into marriage with that thought that we're not going to have kids. And so make a long story short, you know, we, I told the doctor, I said, listen, if you go in there and she doesn't have the cancer because God healed her. I mean, I was so blunt. I said, you won't remove the uterus. Right. And he, he said, you know, no, of course not. So they went to the surgery and they found nothing, legitimately found nothing. And it was literally, a, it was a miracle and something that we had prayed for. And so of course, in that thought, I'm going, oh my word, this is it she's healed. We can move on. We can share of the miracle of what he did. And this is just a rejoicing in her heart. And so we ended up getting married and on our honeymoon, she noticed some complications in her stomach and basically went back to the doctors again after her honeymoon. And they said the cancer's returned and it's, it's all over and she has weeks to months to live. And so I remember at first my, my thought was, okay, no, there's no way that she's going to die because God already did a miracle. So he's not going to do a miracle and give us that much hope. And then all of a sudden she's going to die. What kind of, I, I thought this, what kind of sick God would do that? That was my thought, just reality. And so of course, you know, about three months, three and a half months later, um, I had to watch her take her last breath. And I remember the wrestle. I mean, at first here we were there and, and I will say this, as she took her last breath, I remember being in a fetal position, just, just curled up. I couldn't believe what was happening because I actually really did not believe she was going to die. I mean, had the, the most faith. People say, if you just have faith, I remember just, yeah, I have faith. And I didn't believe, I was like, there's no way she's going to die. So I couldn't believe it. And I'm sitting there and I remember God just speaking to my heart and there was worship music playing in the background. And he said, I want you to stand up and worship me. And it was the most, and they didn't show this in the movie, but I, here I am going to, fetal position, curled up and going, and God says, stand up and worship me. And I said, no. And it was like, stand up and worship me. I was like, no. And it was like, the, I'm like Peter, and he's three times, third time, <laughs> stand up and worship me. And I was like, okay. And remember I stood up and I started raising up my hands and everybody in that whole room started raising up their hands. And I can tell you this, if I wouldn't have done that, I would have missed out on the Holy Spirit and the presence of God in that room so tangible. And I mean that from the bottom. It was so tangible and so thick. 
And I remember that that was a moment of going, okay, God, okay. And then all of a sudden, rage started happening. And I remember just going, that, that's, cause I remember her, her brother saying, why would God do that? Why would he heal her? And then she would die. And I, we both kind of had this kind of back and forth, like that God would never do that. And so we almost got angry to saying, God, are you real? Because you wouldn't do that. Like a, a real God wouldn't do that. Or God, is that the God that you are, that you would do that? And so we sort of, I started questioning my faith, questioning who God really was. And I remember it was just that wrestle for so long. And I, I got almost to the point where I realized I had a, a, a point to, to make. It was like, I either go this way or this way. I either run to the world, which is the actual cause of the pain, cause of the hurt, cause of all that stuff, and run to that where I'm going to end up in a world of hurt even more. Or I had the choice to go, you know what? Where else, John, you said it in our prayer, where else are we going to go? When Jesus was talking to the disciples and they're like, you got to eat them on my flesh and drink on my blood. And they're like, whoa, that's too much. And he goes, all right. And they left. And Peter goes, or Jesus goes, Peter, what about you? What are you going to do? And he's like, Jesus, where else are we going to go? You have the very words of eternal life. And so for me, I was like, where, am I, where else am I going to go? Like, what else am I going to do? And I, I ran to the feet of Jesus. I mean, it was a wrestle because I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. Even if I do believe, do I want to serve that God? And I, I sat at the feet of Jesus and he so lovingly, so patiently, his beauty and his majesty and his love and his kindness and his faithfulness was just so prevalent in my life that I stand before people today saying the only reason why I got through this is because of Jesus. That's it. There's no other thing that got me through it. And that's why I'm here today. And that's honestly what we're saying. Why, why do we still believe? That's why. Because I went through a tragedy and Jesus was everything that I needed. And he was there for me every step of the way. Amen. AD, you said something a bit earlier about the the music industry kind of chews you up and spits you out. And I can I can attest to this because, you know, I was only in the industry for about seven or eight years. Um, my husband, who, by the way, I forgot to mention, is here and he's the button pusher behind the scenes. So he's <laughs> involved in this conversation, too. Um, but he's pushing all the buttons and making all the tech stuff happen. Um, but, you know, he was in the industry for, uh, in the Christian industry for about 30 years. So so there's, you know, between the two of us, we have such an in inside view of it, like, like a, you as well. Um, but I couldn't, it was just too hard for me. I, I, um, to say that it kind of chews you up and spits you out is not an overstatement. It really did that to me. And and I want to say that with grace for the people who are in it, because there are so many wonderful, Jesus-loving, gospel-centered people in the contemporary music industry. Oh, my gosh, people I'm still friends with, people yes. that I met um, that, that love Jesus and want to serve him. So this isn't just like a let's throw CCM under the bus thing. Right. But the way that it's kind of set up, um, you know, you, you, they, you're on a bus, you're kind of in this floating fishbowl where— you're insulated from a lot of other people. And even when, you know, when you do, you arrive at a venue and you go in, it's like everybody's looking at you. Every, all the attention is on you. And we weren't created for that. We, as human beings, we weren't created to receive that kind of admiration. And then the, you're put on a stage and it's even, you know, that times 10. Um, yeah. And you can become really jaded. I found my heart becoming kind of hardened and cynical uh, yeah. because, you know, you get back on the bus and it's like, you know, you vent all the things that happened that day. And it can kind of become like this, this really cynical space that you start to live in. And I think that's what 
some of those things is what made me vulnerable to the the deconstruction sort of process that ended up happening to me um, because, you know, I had the best of intentions. When I moved to Nashville, when I got on my first tour bus, I had my Strong's Concordance, like that thick, with me on my <laughs> first tour bus. And I was like, you know, studying my Bible every day. And man, the depression started to hit. Uh, your rhythms are all off because you're sleeping weird hours and working weird hours. And um, I know that for me, that's what made me really vulnerable and also just sort of you get you get to see every different type and stream of Christianity. You mm -hmm. encounter every denomination, every mm -hmm. sort of attitude in Christians, you know, around. So it, it can make you very cynical and very jaded. And um, this would be a good opportunity for us to maybe answer one of these questions from the live stream. This is from Paul Murray, and anybody who wants to answer this can. But I think this is a really good question. Do you think there's something in the creative temperament that makes one more open to the ideas that lead to deconstruction, or maybe I'll even add like a deconversion? type situation? Gosh, in some ways, I think that that's a great question. And I don't know that it's necessarily temperament, because when I think about the people that are on the road, there are so many different types of personalities. Yeah. I mean, you're talking mm -hmm. about administrative people to like when I think about our crew guys, to the people on the stage, to the people behind the scenes, to management, to booking. I mean, it is so intertwined with so many different kinds of personalities and what I've experienced is is that there's a verge a, a version of, of deconstruction or questioning or disillusion, disillusionment in all kinds of personalities I think it really is a lot of the setup that I mean you're taking like you said Elisa these young kids I mean you guys I was on stage at 18 years old mm -hmm. I, I didn't I didn't I was raised in the church but I didn't have a strong biblical foundation at all I loved Jesus but I was very much defined by church culture. Um, and so when I started to see the things in church culture that was so disappointing to me, um, it brought so much disillusionment because I didn't know what else to believe then because that was my experience. And so I think it's very much, and I mean, you guys, if you can add to it, but I think it's very much um, pulling people out of, of fellowship and accountability and then putting people on stage. So you're, you're making money all of a sudden. Well, some people, not everybody. We certainly didn't. <laughs> some people, you're 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 being adored by people. So then it instantly sits in this loneliness of like, well, who really knows me? I mean, there's so many sort of dynamics. And, you know, yeah. Chime in, you guys. I, I think what that also breeds when you know you become elevated on a platform as well. For one, you said it, Elisa, about how we're not created for glory. We're not created for worship. And, mm -hmm. and you know, it becomes a thing where, in a sense, you're glorified. And and what happens, it, it messes you up. It just really does. Because yeah. that's we're not, we can't handle it. Does that make sense? And so mm -hmm. it's like, God's the one, we have to shift that. If we don't shift it that way, it's like we're being penetrated with bullets. You know what I mean? We can't handle it. It's not us, ours to handle. And I think what happens is, you know, and I've seen this when someone's elevated, there's a lot of people around them, including leaders that don't really want to say anything because yeah. they might have yeah. a, a something to gain by it. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? By this mm -hmm. person's platform or the status of knowing this person or just whatever it may be that there, a lot of people don't want to say anything because they're like, well, yeah, I mean, I want to keep my, my buddy and, you know, and I, I kind of like knowing so-and-so and we're the, in a day and age right now, even more so, I think it's even more dangerous of very much social media and look who I know, 
look who I hang out mm. with. And I think that that is another reason why the accountability gets shot is because no one wants to say anything because you could benefit them in some way or they can be get benefited in some way. So that's, that's a little tidbit, but John, go ahead. No, I think that's really good, Jeremy. I agree with that. I mean, I, I think I would like to add to that, um, to, to the question at hand as well. Agree with all that though. I think that's really, mm -hmm. really good. Um, I, I probably would say this in my view, a great, musician should be playing music from the depth of their feelings it mm -hmm. should be something that you feel so emotionally raw about it's what you're singing the yeah. best guitar players in the world christian non-christian atheist jimi hendrix crying mm -hmm. over his guitar setting his guitar on fire a great musician should be reaching into the depths and expressing it on an instrument and i think that 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 leads to the question because a lot of deconstruction is feeling oriented. It's that mm -hmm. my, my feelings are kind of moving me in a certain way. I do think there may be something to the person who asked the question. It, it, does that make you a little bit more susceptible to those kind of things? Because if you're an artist, you probably are very feelings driven. But I want to mm -hmm. add one more thing to that because there's also a reason. <laughs> there's also a reason in the Old Testament that you know say uh, the prophet's going to give the word of the lord but he's like okay wait wait a minute where are the musicians at where are the musicians at bring the musicians into play so i can bring the word of the lord there's a reason that when saul king saul is being tormented by demons he asked for a musician to come and play so that the spirit of god could soothe him and and, and bring peace uh, music is powerful mm -hmm. and i agree with what you guys say and i think that a lot of times people want to be around the power you know mm -hmm. they want to be around the power and how are they going to speak these days worship leaders carry a lot more power than any pastor mm -hmm. worship yeah. leaders carry a lot of times the juice <clears throat> who is going to speak out against that and so i do think that musicians tend to already be a little bit arrogant i think we all tend to be a little bit self-focused and then <laughs> if you're not being out working that amongst the body of christ yes. with the various gifts that god gives right god gives gifts to all of us so that we work together but if you're the one not really working with someone else it, it is a very dangerous thing but i think it was a pretty astute question that was asked yeah. that's good well here's here's another one that i think is is a really good question this is from dr jonathan uh, lechi and i can understand why he's asking this question because if some of these deconstruction and deconversion stories the reason i'm kind of separating deconstruction from deconversion is because not every deconstruction ends up in a deconversion but many I do i mean that's the trajectory is it it either ends up in a deconversion or um a, a type of faith that doesn't reflect a historic christian faith right. um and so uh jonathan is uh honestly one of the smartest people i have ever encountered and so if you have an intellectual question about Christianity, uh, he's your guy. So, And so his question is this, do you have advice for how to counsel someone who experiences emotional doubt that doesn't have a clear rational or intellectual expression? And I think that that is a really good question because there seems to be in a lot of the, the stories that I've listened to, and I see for, for me, just 
Um, and I don't mean to overstate my deconstruction. I never fully lost my faith. Um, but I was, it was just, I was literally like that guy that came to Jesus and said, I believe, help my unbelief. It was like both at the same time. I believed and I didn't believe. And it was just, it was like I was being torn in half. Um, and mine was purely intellectual. And I really, upon a lot of reflection, I think it was purely intellectual because all I had a pretty good experience growing up in the church. I had, for the most part, I mean, there's always going to be some stinkers in there, but I, for the most part, had good pastors. Uh, the Christians that I knew were people who loved God. They believed the Bible was God's word, but that played itself out in mm -hmm. active service to others. I grew up working the soup lines at the Fred Jordan Mission in LA, watching my mom hug prostitutes, uh, put coats on homeless guys, and my dad leading worship at the mission. And that was just a normal weekend for us. You know, I was perfectly comfortable <laughs> around homeless people. I thought that's just what all Christians did. You know, I didn't realize that maybe that was a little <laughs> unusual. But uh, th that, and we would do street evangelism. Uh, you know, and when, you, when you're like, 13 years old and you're doing street evangelism on Hollywood Boulevard on Halloween, you're going to meet people from different worldviews. I talked with Satanists and, uh, you know, Wiccans and agnostics and all kinds of people as a kid, but it was easy to, to brush off the claims they would make about Christianity because I thought, oh, they just don't have the Holy Spirit yet. Like, they just don't know. <laughs> and so I could blow it off. But when it was in a church where a pastor that I had really come to trust was bringing some of these intellectual claims, it just messed me up. I mean, it was like, is everything I believe a lie? I was kind of intellectually convinced it wasn't true. So for me, the journey was finding the intellectual answers um, because I didn't necessarily have to work through, um, you know, layers of church abuse or the hypocrisy that you witnessed, Adi, or, um, you know, because church abuse is, and spiritual abuse is such a big issue right now. There's so many scandals coming to light. And I've said this before, I praise God, God, shine your light. Like yeah. people, if people are being abused, I praise God that's coming out because he needs to shine his light so that there's repentance and the abusers are dealt with and the victims are are cared for and advocated for. Um, but I think that sometimes, like, if you listen to a lot of deconstruction stories, there's so much tied in there. There's emotional doubt. There's intellectual doubt. And sometimes, and in many cases, an intellectual question will be asked, an intellectual answer will be given, but it doesn't satisfy because the doubt really isn't intellectual in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so I think Jonathan's question is really good. Do you have advice for how to counsel someone who experiences emotional doubt that doesn't have a rational or intellectual expression? Does anyone have any thoughts on that? <laughs> I, I mean, think I'll the, jump in. Oh, sorry. I'll, I'll jump in with the, the layman's, the non-intellectual answer. Um, I, I'm a deep feeler, so I, I've had to learn how to navigate through. You know, I understand people who deal with depression and all that sort of thing, and I, I understand how to navigate through, like, your perspective right now isn't necessarily reality, but it feels so real. Um, and I think any, not to be crass, but any woman once a month understands not to trust their feelings, like seriously, you know, so like, I don't, the Bible says, you know, the heart is deceitful above all things. So though feeling is great, if your feelings are ruling your decisions, if your feelings become your truth, you're just going to be like on a stormy sea all the time. Yeah. And so there, there has to be something else um, that's absolute in truth that defines what is reality for you. The fact of the matter is when you make that, that truth, the absolute truth of the word, your reality, your feelings will eventually fall in line. 
but it might take a little while and God can work, work through you and in you to make those feelings fall in line to what his reality is and give you revelation of what their reality is. You know, I think that's great. Yeah. And and this is a huge generalization. And so I'm saying, I know it's a generalization at the top. (laughs) Um, but some of the people that I know that have struggled with, with deconstruction and maybe even I would call apostate actually, yeah. A lot of people, it's not just their spiritual life that has fallen apart. It, it, it has been their practical life. Mm-hmm. They have they have cheated on their spouse. And, you know, their their kid fell into drug abuse and ended up getting going to juvie or something. A lot of times it seems to me that a lot of these things are tied together. And, and sometimes I, I just want to say, I know you might not feel that right now, but aren't there other things in your life? as Corey just say, aren't there other things that you also don't trust? You know, like, can anybody that's been married for 20 years <laughs> relate to having a day when you don't really enjoy being around your jerky <laughs> husband that's treating you really bad because he's stressed out? That, that's okay. <laughs> who, has, who has two thumbs and is annoying? This guy. Um, I'm with you. Can, yeah. Can you, can you not relate to waking up one day and just being like, I would rather not be with my kids today. They're a lot of work. It's exhausting. And that's not reality talking. That's just that's just you having a bad day. That's you thinking something that is not reality. And yeah. so I, I would just kind of encourage people, hey, if you're going to live your life based on your feelings each day, it is going to be a rocky road. It's, mm. You're just going to be a miserable person. So I don't know. That's good. My encouragement. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I can add that as well, I think one thing that I, in a lot of the, the deconstruction stories, I actually, what's interesting is a lot of the, the issues that people have, you know, felt or, 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 or had, I agree with, but I want to say to you, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, that just because you have questions or you feel uncomfortable with certain church culture that you've seen, or you feel uncomfortable with the way that you're seeing certain Christians live their lives, let me just tell you, so do I. Like I have a serious problem with the way that certain churches do certain things. And I'm, I don't want to, I'm not here to bash the church. I love the body of Christ, but there's certain things that are worth deconstructing from, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater just because you feel a certain way about something that they are valid truths. And there's a valid concrete place that you can come back to yeah. Um, that you can look from an intellectual point and then allow your feelings to sort of follow, you know. Well, it's like, you know, Jesus never said, um, follow my disciples, he said, follow me. I think a lot of times we look at, you know, the <laughs> disciples or, or those that are serving Jesus and they're like, well, if that's who Jesus is, is Jesus like, actually, that's not, <laughs> no, that's not who I am, you know. And so they, they throw it out because they're like, well, that, that's who Christian, what Christianity is. But when you look at God's word and the truth of God's word, it's so beautiful the heart of christ who who specifically talks about repentance a lot and talks about sin but like very much shows his compassion like when what i love is the story that i use all the time and we all know it but i love it is the adulterous woman who was caught in the act of adultery they pull her out get ready to stone her and then jesus was like all right all y'all that have not sinned go ahead, cast a stone. And they're like, uh, uh, yeah, never mind." And they all walked away. We're your accusers, you know? And Jesus, this is, she wasn't necessarily repenting at that point. He literally said, hey, go and sin no more. And so Jesus addressed sin. 
And I think what happens is all of a sudden we get to this spot where, you know, we're afraid to talk about sin or mistakes. And, you know, I think that um, this is kind of going off subject, but it, it triggered something in my mind. Hopefully this is not like going way off subject, but it triggered something with me um, about saying that Jesus, you know, said, follow me and my disciples. You know, for me, I, I, I look at this whole deconstruction thing and like how I was raised, I was raised a little more legalistic and I was raised a little bit more, you know, it would not be faith or a, a works-based faith, but the feeling was if you didn't do all the right things, then God's a little bit upset with you and angry with you. And so I was kind of not, not, but just a little bit more on that direction. I'm not calling my family. I'm just saying just kind of, it just was that feeling. And so when, instead of going, you know what, I'm going to start over and overcorrect and go over here, even though I started over here, I'm going to just pick up the things that not are not, I mean, I'm going to stay on God's word because I want to have a plumb line of truth that we were talking about. You got to have a truth because we're all talking about, we go by emotion so much. Here's the truth of who God is in his word. And I'll just pick off the things that aren't true. You know, who God, who is God really? And you know, who is, does, does he get angry with us? If we don't read our Bible one day. No, not at all. We're missing out on the fullness of of who God is and spending time with Jesus and seeing him in his, in his beauty and his majesty. He's not angry with us. And I think that those type things you can start to like deconstruct, but don't overcorrect and all of a sudden get to a place where you're going, where, where are you? There's absolute truth that we have to stand on and that's God's yeah. word. All right. That's totally a... No, that's really good. And I, this leads us into a question that I think is really important because you're talking about deconstructing the, the untrue things or the, the things that are yeah. wrong, you know, but, but holding fast to what is good, which that's biblical. The Bible says, test every yep. spirit, hold fast to what is good. And so David has a question here, and this is a good opportunity to maybe clear this up. He says, I'm so confused. Do you see deconstruction as something bad or not? And I'd really love to give my perspective on that because I mentioned at the beginning that there are lots of different definitions of deconstruction. And so if you follow the deconstruction movement, um, it's of course, deconstruction is going to be seen as something very positive. This is something everybody should do. And I think that in many cases, the whole concept of deconstruction is sort of built upon what John was talking about a few minutes ago, this idea of live your truth, you know, live by your feelings. And it's uh, not to oversimplify it, but essentially that's what moral relativism is, is what you think is good and true becomes good and true for you. And what somebody else believes is good and true becomes good and true for them. And so I think that so much of the deconstruction movement, especially if you trace it back to the first sort of uh, iterations of deconstruction that arose out of the postmodernism that started to come out of the philosophy world in the 60s, sort of centered around the sexual revolution and some of that, this, this whole idea of live your truth, we're, we're in what people are calling a post-truth culture. Now, this is yeah. very complicated and difficult for Christians because the Christian faith depends upon absolute truth. Yeah. Um, if it didn't depend on absolute truth, we wouldn't even be having this discussion. It wouldn't matter. Like, do what works for you. I don't care. Like, if you want to, like, leave Christianity, that's fine. That would be no different from choosing to be a meat eater or a vegetarian. But Christianity is based on objective truth. If we look at 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, the Apostle Paul said, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is in vain and you're still in your sins. And so he's essentially saying if, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ was not an actual event in real history, then Christianity as an entire belief system is false. And that really goes against what 
the origin story, essentially, of every other philosophy, uh, spiritual worldview, and religion. You know, essentially, you have somebody who might be sitting under a tree and get some revelation, and they drum up a bunch of followers based on a certain teaching or philosophy. Christianity is totally different than than that type of a of a religious system. Christianity is it stands or falls based on the resurrection of Jesus. So absolute truth really matters. Now I'll swing that back into the context of deconstruction. In the 60s, when postmodernism was first coming about questioning the rationalism uh, and some of the the Enlightenment modernist ideas, uh, Christianity, by the time it kind of fizzled out for a while and came back, but we're at a time now where people generally don't believe in absolute truth. And so you can see why if you don't believe that truth is absolute, then it would be a good thing to deconstruct whatever construct of truth you were given from your Christian parents. It would actually be the responsible thing to do that. Um, And so I like to compare deconstruction with doubt because I think that doubt is if you're an honest doubter, if you're like, okay, do I really believe what my parents taught me? That's good. We should all do that. We should all say, is this true? Does this line up with reality? Um, And then get rid of the things that are untrue or don't reflect reality. As Christians, um, and, you know, in apologetics, we build a case for, for this, starting with truth. But if we as Christians believe that the Bible is God's word, which, by the way, if you're a Jesus follower, he referred to the Old Testament scriptures over and over and over again as God's word. He never referred to the Old Testament scriptures as something some guys wrote that were just trying to figure God out in the times and places they lived. Like, he referred to that as God's very word. And so it's very clear that was his view. And so if we believe, like Jesus, that scripture is the word of God, then that's our standard for absolute truth. Certainly there are things the Bible doesn't talk about. The Bible doesn't talk about E equals MC squared or certain things like that. So there, there's truth outside the Bible. But as far as everything God wanted us to know uh, about life is in the scriptures. We can depend on that. And so when we anchor our feet in the word of God and in living in reality, um, doubt is great because we can test that. Does this doubt line up with reality? Does it line up with what God has revealed in his word? But deconstruction just for the sake of deconstructing because you think absolute truth doesn't exist anyway, so it's your responsibility to deconstruct that and then live your truth, I'd say that's not something that is a positive thing for Christians to do. Now, in, in a case like mine, where it was sort of like a, a, an unwanted deconstruction, you know, uh, I, I'm thankful that God led me through the journey he did. Um, his faithfulness is just, I look back on all of that and I just... I can't believe—he knew from the beginning what was going to happen, and he walked me through that, and I'm so thankful to him for his faithfulness. But um, So I think that deconstruction, generally speaking, in that context is not a good thing, um, David. I think that uh, Christians don't—you don't have to go through some kind of a relativistic journey to find your truth, because Jesus is the truth. And yes. he instructs us to depend on God's word. And so that that's my view on it. And I so I think that, um, you know, some people will go through some deconstruction, some healthy deconstruction that's not based on relativism, like Jeremy was talking about, where you might deconstruct faulty positions, unbiblical ideas, like do that all day long. But like mm-hmm. Adi said, you know, I just hope you won't throw the baby out with the bathwater because the gospel is beautiful and it's the cure yeah. for all of that. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody has anything to add. 
Amen. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'd love to say something. I, I think that's great. I think tying it into the worldview is very important because deconstructing is one of those words that if you've studied the worldview, when you hear the word, you, you know what people are talking about. And I, I would like to kind of maybe, you know, this thing we're doing tonight was called um, Why We Still Believe. And I, would, I wouldn't mind tying that in to why I still believe. Um, yes. And I would say it ties into this. I gave my life to Christ as a kid, as I said, right, earlier. And God's shown me so much, even as a young person, how when, when I've read his word and I have seen that word be true. I, I've seen that over and over. And I experienced his peace when I gave my life to Christ. I experienced um, that conviction of sin when I bullied somebody at school that feeling in my heart that you just did something that is actually not in your nature any longer, something that I know that I have to repent for. I've seen the Bible become, uh, be, be true so much in my life. You know, uh, my mom passed away when I was uh, 15 years old from cancer. And my mom used to say, John, if I die, you cannot be mad at God because God is always good. And she would also quote, um, which is Romans 28, uh, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love Christ according to his purpose. So she would quote that to me. Well, after my mom passed away, I used to, to say that scripture. Uh, I know that God is good, I would say, but I would say the scripture, all things work together for the good of those who love Christ according to his purpose. I was in my room one night when I was 15 after my mom had died and I was not doing good. I was angry. <laughs> I wanted to hurt somebody. I was mad. I felt like God wasn't listening to me. And in my room one night as I was praying, I, I basically asked God, this is going to sound cheesy to some people. I was basically like, I know that you're my Lord. I know that you're my savior, but would it be okay if I knew you as a friend? And I just had this sense in my head, all right? These words pop into my head. Yes, but not just a friend, also a dad. And it was then that all of a sudden I remembered the scriptures that already told me that, right? Jesus is a friend of sinners. Um, Jesus says to his disciples, no greater love does anybody know this, uh, know than this, than a man who lays his life down for his friends. But I also know that God is also my father. I'm an adopted son of God. Hello, that's almost too good to be true. So the scriptures were coming back to me. And when I think about why I still believe, it's because when I read the book of Proverbs and the Proverbs says, if you do this, then this will happen. And then you see it play out in your life, right? And there are positive things that can happen. And there are negative things that can happen. When you read the book of Ecclesiastes and, and you're reading Solomon say, all this stuff was just chasing after the wind. It's, it's more nothing than nothingness. It's meaningless. Jeremy said it earlier when you were talking mm -hmm. about your, uh, the deception of the world or, or the enticement of sin or whatever you were talking about, Jeremy, earlier in your testimony. Ecclesiastes says that too, right? It says that all the rivers flow into the sea and they keep flowing and flowing and flowing, but the sea is never full. And that's Solomon saying, you can keep drinking that well from alcohol or from popularity or from whatever vice you want. You keep drinking it. You are never going to be full. It is going to leave you empty. And I guess why I still believe is because I keep seeing the truth of the word of God become so real 
And you have to be faced with this question. This book that's thousands of years old is going to have so much truth in it. Then why is it going to be full of lies? Why is it then going to be really, really true about these things, but not really true about other things? And who is the arbiter of that? Who's going to decide one day about which parts of that are no longer going to be true? And, and that's what I think is so deceptive about so much of the movement we see is that just think about this. I'm not trying to be rude to anybody, but I'm just going to say it as clearly and nicely as I can. And it is this. Have you noticed that all of the inconvenient truths of the Bible that people who deconstruct say, I, I don't believe those things anymore. Have you noticed that they are the very same trends of the world? So basically it's not any different. It's whatever the world says is fashionable or, or cool or acceptable. So you don't get canceled and you don't lose friends and you don't lose your job or whatever it is. And you can have peace with the world. That's all the stuff that they're saying is acceptable. Now I haven't met one deconstructed Christian that says, you know, I believe some of the Bible, but I don't believe that Jesus really cared about poor people. <laughs> right? You don't read that. They're not picking those things out. They're picking the things out that just imitate the world. And now what you're saying is, is that the world knows what virtue is when they are not truly born again. And that's, that's an impossibility for, for, for what we believe in the gospel. Mm -hmm. So I want to encourage people watching if you're struggling, if you're on the fence, you don't know what it is. I think Elisa, Elisa nailed it. It's about a worldview. It's about the fact that there is going to be a truth. And do you think that you are the arbiter of truth? Or do you think that there is a God who defines what is right and wrong and moral and immoral? It's either going to be you or it's going to be God. That's the decision that, that there is to make. That's good. And, and yeah. I just take such comfort all the time when I watch how culture changes so quickly. I mean, just in the last five years, it's changed so much. 20 years, it's changed so much. Mm -hmm. But God doesn't change. And his word, that, so his word, we can stand on that, it has stood the test of, of 2,000 years plus of people standing on it. And we have so many testimonies throughout church history of faithful Christians standing on God's word to their death. And it's like, do you want that? Or do you want what might actually get you canceled in two weeks? You know, like you have to keep Yes, up. that's right. Yes. <laughs> you think you're safe, think again. Yeah, you got two weeks till what you believe today is out of style. And then, you know, you gotta figure it out. It's, man, what an exhausting way to live. At least that's, that's what I think. Um, this is a good question. Uh, what is the spiritual requirement for someone to get signed into CCM? Is there any type of accountability? We just we just talked about this to, today on our drive. She picked me up from the airport, and uh, I there isn't. And I think that's one of the problems is that um, there's an assumption because you mm -hmm. sing a song about Jesus that your heart is there. And of course, let me just say this: we all know Isaiah. 29 and then jesus actually repeats it in matthew 15 when he says the people they praise me with their lips but their hearts are far from me so there can be an appearance of yeah they must know the lord they must be fine but their hearts are far from him or you don't know actually what they believe and so i think that i don't know how to remedy that um i i, I could tell you some thoughts uh but that's not really a question, but no, there's not a spiritual requirement. And so what happens is you put people on a platform 
once again, that are put into position where they have an authority almost on who Jesus is or, or how to walk a Christian life that may not even have a clue what they really believe. And so that actually starts coming out later. So I believe some of these people that are coming out later saying that, I don't know if I believe in God or whoever it may be, um, didn't really have a true encounter with Jesus. And that's the key. Like we've talked about this and I've heard you, uh, Lisa, talk about it a lot. It's for me, I had an encounter with the Lord. Like I made him Lord of my life. He was, he was my Lord. And I, I said, God, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to worship you. There's an encounter with him. So we don't know necessarily with a lot of these people. And this is not to come down on, don't sit there and judge every Christian artist that you see. That's, I'm going to encourage you that because there's a lot of amazing people. You know what I mean? But I think that's one of the things that, that I have seen and that we've seen. And I know John and Corey can attest and you as well, Elisa, that there's not. Can I jump yep. on that as well? So my thought as well is, <laughs> is a lot, of, like I know for, for my band, we started out with such good intentions. Mm. We wanted to be authentic. We actually loved God. We wanted to go out. We wanted people to encounter truth, what we thought, what we, you know, we wanted people to encounter Jesus. We wanted people to be, to be comforted. We were definitely, I mean, we were a rock band. So we were the fringe kids. We had a heart for the fringe kids. Um, but it's almost like the parable of the soil that when you throw the seeds out and the cares of life come up and choke everything out, I think that was my experience. We started out loving Jesus. We started out with good intentions and there wasn't, there wasn't people coming alongside us to disciple us. I mean, I'm telling you, you guys, in years and years, we were on the road nonstop, not once. Did I ever have a single person check in with me to how I was doing spiritually? And we were in a position of, of like pastors and leaders. And so there's yeah. a lot of similarity, even within the church. It's yeah. like, how accountable are we? Are we just being put into these positions of, you know, our, our society is like, give me, give me, give me, feed me what I want, entertain me. And it's like, we're being entertained to death in a mm. sense, and entertainers included, you know? So, um, I agree with Jeremy said, I think there are some people that maybe haven't encountered, but then I think there are some that started out with good intentions. Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately it's almost like the setup for exhaustion and, and, um, Elisa, you said it. I mean, I saw my heart. It was funny because I recognized how jaded people were in the beginning and I ended up being exactly mm -hmm. the same, but so hard <laughs> and so jaded, even though in the beginning, it was the very thing that broke my heart, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's important to say, Ad. I, I I agree. I know that we both have talked about this, yeah. and uh, that there are, well, as Jeremy said, or as maybe both both of you said, Elisa too. There are some awesome people in the Christian music industry. Mm -hmm. People that really love God and love Jesus, and that's really right. wonderful. And but I do agree with you, Ad. I do think there are a lot of people who who did have good motives and good intentions. I kind of view it like this: like I know that when I'm in my routine. You know, maybe I, I do good in my routine. Like I, I work out, you know, I eat a little bit better. I don't work out as hard as Jeremy does. You may have done this people, but you know, um, but when I get out of my routine, I, I really don't do so good. And I don't know what I would be like, what I would be like if I was away from my family for months. And even when I was home, I had no church. Most yeah. everyone in the Christian music industry doesn't even belong to a church, which I find uh sad and 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 baffling to be honest but don't even have a church home don't have pastors and elders and brothers and sisters and 
small groups and all the wonderful things that the body of Christ should be. And so I don't know what I would be like if I just left my wife and I left for months and I came home. I had no nobody to talk to, nobody to encourage me. I have a feeling that I would probably, I'm just being honest with you, I probably would stop reading the Word of God and I would begin being influenced by other things that frankly made me feel good in the moment. They didn't satisfy me, but they made me feel good in the moment. And I would probably get so stinking off course. We have to create a culture in Christian music about what it means to belong to the body of Christ and yeah. to belong to a local. I remember I was on tour with a Christian band, I won't say who, back in 1998. And I remember talking to him and I, this is the words he said. I'm not trying to offend anybody. I won't cuss, but he just said, I asked him what church he went to. And he said, he's like, I don't go to church. Church sucks. That's what he said. Church sucks. I was like, church sucks. It's the body of Christ. We're talking about, he's like, I gave up on the church a long time ago. And, and I just thought, you're not going to make it very long. <laughs> you are not going to make it very long because the church is full of people just like you. Mm -hmm. We are all so messed up mm -hmm. and we need each other. And I, I just really believe that we got to create a culture where Christian musicians begin to understand what church life is all about. Well, yeah, it's a very, oh, sorry, right, go, go ahead. ahead. It's just, just an unnatural, <laughs> it's an unnatural way for a Christian to thrive. You, you can't, we're called to be living stones built together, right? And we're interdependent on one another, right? So as annoying as somebody in my church might be, and I might be to them, that's the sharpening of the Holy Spirit in my character, in their character, me actually learning to lay down my life for someone and serve them and love them. So you're missing out on what's going to actually cause you to be more like Jesus and grow. So it's unnatural on that level. And also um, the paradigm of it is, I mean, it's business. Like people make money doing this, right? And people are given influence and power. And where you have money and power, there's going to be corruption. And yes. if you don't have accountability where people are like, hey, like Jeremy was saying earlier, you know, some people around a bunch of famous, like a famous person might know what they're doing, but just not say, cause you're going to get fired or whatever. There, all of those dynamics play into this and people do come in with good intentions. But if you don't have safeguards in place for yourself, like, you know, we have a local church, you guys have a local church. We have leaders in our lives that we have said, if we start getting off, you make a call and we are off the road. Yes. My, my salvation and my soul are way more important to me than me being somebody thinking I'm cool. I just don't care. You know what I mean? Like ultimately, like we're talking about Ecclesiastes, like I don't want to stand before the Lord and everything that I've done burn and me have lived for things that are just so dumb. Like I, I don't want to live for futile things. Like I want to be standing before him and him be pleased with my life. And the son of God came yeah. as a servant. He laid down everything and he is our leader. He is the one we worship. And if he, you know, right before he goes to the cross is washing people's feet who are about to like ditch him and betray him and stuff like that is what we're called to do. So the whole paradigm of this is set up for people to serve me and worship me. I don't want that. And so I'm going to put whatever safeguards in place so that I don't, I don't want to become the devil. I mean, he's the one who was the guy who fell because he wanted to take the glory of God for himself. Yeah. And That's music true. is all in our time with that. I'm like, this is like big red flags for people who are called to this. You have to mm -hmm. feel called to this and you have to set safeguards in place. Mm -hmm. Real quick, I want to add to that because he's like, yeah, amen, sister. Drop the mic. Exactly. I think we just need to drop the mic and just end this whole thing. Um, that, you, said, you said something so key because, you know, I want to add on to the fact that like there are people that artists that will maybe go to church and they actually are 
they're in church, they go to church. They, they step in and they're like, well, I go to church. But what you said is putting safeguards. It's mm-hmm. you, you tell people, we've told people that, hey, if, if we're off base, please speak into my life. You have to allow that to be a part of your life too. So you can even just go to church and still not really have that true accountability. Mm-hmm. And true accountability and the safeguards are set up when you, like you said, Corey and John, that you're like, please tell us. We've had the same thing. We've had friends, I was telling one day how, they're asking how we were doing. And basically uh, I was like, well, I'm struggling with this feeling towards her. And he looked at me and said, it's one of a pastor of a church. He goes, you need to go see a counselor right now. And I was like, okay. So he sent, so he literally, he sent Adrian and me a text and said, Adrian, if he doesn't get on this by next week, then I'm going to call him. And I was like, okay, okay. So I went, saw a counselor. I mean, those type things are the people you need in your life. So I just want to add to that. It's good. Here's a question. Uh, For someone who grew up in church but deconstructed for a few years, what advice do you have to get back on the right path to be on fire again? I've been trying for years and it's been hard. I think, you know, one of the most important things is is vulnerability and honesty. And and even talking about, I mean, this in a sense ties in perfectly with what we've been talking about, because I think accountability, you, you need to be honest with somebody about how you're feeling, what you're thinking, because you got they are answers for these things. Yes. Like, I'll be yeah. honest, when I hear some of these deconstruction stories, I have so much pain in my heart because I just feel like had you been given the space, the safe space to to hash out some of these doubts and questionings, I just don't know that people would be there. And so find people in your life that you can like talk through some of these things because we're, we're the, what I was going to say earlier is the heart of the gospel is relational, you know, primarily with God and us first and then with each other. And so it isn't that we're supposed to be an island figuring out all of the stuff alone. And so I know I'm sure Elisa and, and you guys could just chime in as well, but it's like, God created us for community. And so find community in hashing out some of these things, because even the, the doubts that we might have, somebody else might see it from a completely different perspective and where something feels so monumental to you and someone will go, well, have you thought about it from this perspective? And all of a sudden it's like the light bulbs go on because God works differently, you know, with, with maybe he might show Jeremy something and then show me something. So I just think community is really, really important. That's good. And I'll add to that, too, because um, in the question, it says, how can I get back on the right path and be on fire again? My advice to um, Tear the Veil Gaming, so I don't know your first name or I'd I'd say your first name, but it's Tear the Veil Gaming. Um, Don't make being on fire the goal. Uh, because there's going to be moments and, and times in your Christian life when you feel on fire, and there's going to be times when you feel nothing, and it feels like blip nothing at all. And that's why we don't go on those roller coasters of our emotions and the highs and the lows and all of this. So my advice to you to add ex- everything, I want to second what Adi said, but also getting on the right path is also going to involve really building and constructing your worldview from a biblical place. Uh, yeah. You know, Read, read the Bible, like really build what you believe around the Bible. Read the Bible, read some good apologetics books, some, maybe some systematic theology. Really understand what you believe and why you believe those things. And that way, when the emotional highs come, that's great. I, you know, I love worship. I'm a feeler too. So I get in worship and I'm the, the, you know, blubbering, crying person sometimes. But then there's some Sundays when I go into church and it's like, nope, got nothing. And it's such a 
peace in my heart to know that I don't have to rely on how I feel because Christianity is true whether I feel it or not. Christianity is true whether I uh, believe it or not, whether I feel it. And so um, the reason this is so important, I think, for building a solid foundation, both intellectually and spiritually, is because when those hard times come, uh, I mentioned earlier that we lost my nephew a couple years ago to a drug overdose, and it was so shocking and so traumatic just being in a movie theater one minute, and one hour later, I'm in a hospital just looking at the body of this boy that I have loved his whole life at 21 years old, um, and it's it's the end for him. And it was just amazingly destabilizing and disorienting and dark. And um, but it was in those moments that I had a choice to make. I could stand on what I know is true. Or I could go with my feelings, but my feelings were dark. My feelings were not good. But the minute I cried out to Jesus and I said, look, I'm in this because I know that it's true, whether I feel it or not, then in waves, just the mercy of God, the peace of God, it seems like a paradox to even say it, but even in that horrific type of situation that was so hard for my whole family, especially my sister who lost her only son, the faithfulness and goodness of God was never more evident to me than in that time. Now, I yeah. can't explain why someone else could go through something like that and and walk away from God, and I'm not to, here to judge their story. But for me, I think, you know, this whole thing is why we want to testify why we still believe. I yeah. still believe because, A, I know that it's true. I know that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I know that he was resurrected from the dead physically as a real event in history, proving everything he said about himself to be true. That's the significance of the resurrection. It wasn't just like disconnected from everything he said. It was like he's claiming to be God. He's claiming all these things about himself. And then he dies. He gets killed. Like what on earth happens? But he, he raises from the dead, and that's the sign that proves his message true. What he said about himself is true. And, mm-hmm. and so it was in those in that moment of that just utter darkness, indescribable darkness in that hospital room, where I had to stand on what I know, what I knew. And so I think that just to answer your question, don't make being on fire the goal. Make believing, trusting, Good. walking in discipleship, walking in faithfulness to Jesus, continuing, like Jeremy mentioned earlier, to turn to Jesus in repentance. That is something we have so lost in our postmodern culture is just the—it's not just—like you said, Jeremy, it's not just a one-time thing. Uh, we should be repenting every day. We should be living in repentance. Lord, uh, I love the way uh, theologian uh, Charles Ryrie referred to it as light. It's like God gives you light, and when you respond to that light, he gives you more light. And First uh, John talks about walking in the light, which is the perfect solution. It's the perfect middle ground between trying to be sinless and just doing whatever you want. You walk in the light. You let God expose all of the things in your life, and you turn yeah. to Him in repentance with what He shows you, and He'll show you more. And we'll all He'll be showing us more till the day we die, because we all got stuff that we'll be repenting for till we die. But that's the beauty of it: is that He offers us that, and then we're cleansed, we're forgiven. There's we don't have to carry our shame, we don't have to carry the guilt from our sins, because Jesus took that upon Himself. And so yeah. I didn't mean to start preaching, but just no, you know, pre- build build. <laughs> a good foundation would be my advice. Yeah. <laughs> you know, real quick, I wanna, I wanna, that, was, that was perfect. I want to um, 
add real quick, as you were saying, you know, we're all talking about, I've already shared a little bit why I still believe, but I want to kind of continue because I think sometimes people can say, well, that's great. You shared, you know, one experience of God showing up in your life and it's a continual thing. And I'm going to share this very quickly, as quick as possible. Um, why I still believe still, (laughs) why I still, still believe (laughs) is because about, you know, three and a half years ago, I went through a major, major panic attack, breakdown, didn't know what was going on, never experienced it before in my life, uh, couldn't breathe. It was, I was socially, I couldn't get out of bed for, you know, about a week. And this went on for a couple weeks straight. Well, I'm talking about, I couldn't even function. And I didn't know what was going on. I was like, just going, God, I don't know what's going on. She's praying for me. I'm listening to worship music. I'm trying to do something. And I finally was crying out to Jesus. I was weeping constantly. I mean, as a, as a grown man, weeping on your wife's lap, just constantly. I was like, I'm still, I'm a weak man, you know? And she's like, no, this is, this is good. Like, you know, keep, keep going, keep, you know, crying out to Jesus. And so finally I just said, God, what is it? And he said, you aren't trusting me with your family, with your um, finance with your future. All, all these, I wasn't trusting him at all. And I had bitterness towards some, you know, special people in my life. And so what I did was he was right there. I said, God, I'm sorry. And I repented. And that repentance, God just lifted that weight of depression, anxiety, all those things He from my repentance. So it wasn't like I was you know, I went, I found this, you know, these mistakes I was making and God's like, see, I told you, why were you trusting me? It was more like, there, just trust me. And that weight came off. And I can say that I still believe because God was the only thing that got me through that. Yeah. When I said, when I cried out to him with all from the guttural places of my heart, he was the one that, that rescued me out of that major pit. Yeah, that's good. AD Camp, why do you still believe? I think for me, you know, I, so I grew up in the charismatic church. It's a lot more emotional, right? So the emotional side for me, Jesus was always real. And even when I went through a season of doubt, it, it, the emotional side for me was like solid, totally fine. But I years ago went through a season of really reading and researching. And I love that you brought that up again, of just finding solid reading material and coming back to the truth of God's word, because it wasn't until I completely just sat and like read scripture over and over and over, and then started to study, honestly, other religions, other just the defense for the gospel that it really turned from something from where I knew in my heart that Jesus was real, but then I could know in my mind as well that he was as well. And for me, honestly, there is absolutely nothing besides Jesus and Christianity that makes sense. And even though I don't fully know all the answers, I don't, I don't know the, you know, there are some really difficult things and I don't always know the answers, but I'm just telling you, I'm so convinced of the reality of the Holy Spirit in my life on an every single daily basis. And I love that scripture. And I know we mentioned it early on, but it is so, so, so true for me that I just feel like Jesus is everything that I have that when, when, when they come to him, just go, where else shall we go? You are the one that have the words of eternal life. And that for me is where I can land. It's just going, where else should we go to govern my own life, to choose my own truth? Like that for me sounds miserable. It is a weight that I do not want to carry. I'm quite happy to just go, Jesus, you're in the driving seat of my life. Where else can I go but you? So that is why. I- <laughs> John, why do you still believe? I got to amen that, Aiding. I got to <laughs> amen it. 
<laughs> I got to amen it, man. Oh, man. The last thing that I need is me telling you what eternal truth would be on my own feelings. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Nobody wants to be around that. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, I just I can't amen that enough. I love that. You know, I, I, I'll, I'll tie this um, tie this into an answer for the last question, if that's all right, Lisa. You see how I do that? I'm a lead singer, so I can take these really complex things <laughs> and I can, anyway, um, I wanna tie it into something about that last question. So, uh, somebody said, how can I, you know, how can I get back right with the Lord or whatever that, that question was? Man, I cannot read the Bible uh, anymore without just feeling the overwhelming presence of God. Now, mm -hmm. I'm not saying, it was always like that, but I started doing something that I want to tell you about because maybe it'll help you. I started reading the Bible, wait for it out loud. <laughs> it sounds like it's going to be amazing. <laughs> I'm telling you, you read, you don't have to read a lot. You can read one chapter. You read Proverbs or Psalms out loud and you tell me that the truth of the word of God doesn't begin to penetrate your heart. Mm. And that's not just my experience. The Bible said in the book of Hebrews, we know Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active. Yeah. That means when I am reading the Bible, that means that God's spirit is doing a work in my heart. He's doing whatever work he wants to do, but he is digging into my heart and he is splitting my heart open and he is discerning the thoughts and intentions of what's inside of me. That's what the Bible says. And so I want to encourage that, that, that person that asked that maybe try reading the Bible out loud. And, and the reason I say that is because I just want to, I just really want to say is I feel like I need to say it. Sometimes people want to get to the place where they feel like they're right with God. And then they start reading the Bible. Don't do that. Flip it around, start reading the Bible and let God do his work and see that, that taste and see that the Lord is good. You will see that he is good. It will bring you to an incredible place because the word of God is living and active. That's why I believe the, the word of God is so evidently true to me. Even when there are things that I go, wow, that's kind of weird. Uh, that's inconvenient for living in 2021. That's inconvenient for my business or for this or this or this. But what I find is, is when I get myself in line with his word, all of a sudden I flourish and I go, oh, I see. That actually is a whole lot better to me. It's almost like when you're when you're 18 and you go to college and you're like, now I can eat whatever I want to. And I'm going to be super happy eating donuts all day long. And you think you're happy eating those donuts until you go home. And, and, and uh, like my granddad said to me, doesn't look like you've been skipping any meals, son. <laughs> That's not always fun. You might think it's going to make you happy but it's actually not going to, there's actually a better way. And that's why I believe the word of God is so evidently true to me. And he keeps proving himself true, 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 true. His name is faithful and true. It says in the book of revelation. So booyah, come Bring on. Now. Amen. Yes. I know Amen. Jeremy knows cause he has a song, the living word of God. <laughs> I'm going to stand on the truth of the living word of God. Love it. So good. Corey Cooper. Why do you yes. still believe? Well, mine will be similar to everybody else's in that, you know, where else can I go? Um, and really that comes to me more in my hard times than in my good times. Um, mm. The fact of the matter is there is room 
for people to doubt. There is room to be real. And I think sometimes we, we can lose that in a certain church culture. But to learn to be real with the Lord, like the psalmists do, uh, Lamentations, as you said earlier, Elisa, and every single time he's been faithful to me. Every single time, Every time he's been faithful to me. You can try to push him away. You can try to push him away and you just can't because he just gets in there and he knows you better than you know yourself. And so for me, it's it's not just experiential. It's like it's played out every time in the reality of my life. The truth of his word has never once failed me. And though you can experience hard times, he is always there in the midst of us. He didn't promise us a life that was just going to be amazing. In fact, pretty much the opposite if you read the Bible. Read through the saints. Abraham. Abraham's promised like to be the father of many nations. And he's had really just two kids. I mean, and he's wandering in a desert. Like, how, how do their lives play out when they're holding on to promises that they are championed for their faith, right? So we believe in a God who is beyond our circumstances, who isn't living just for us and to make us happy, but he, he lives to change us into his image. And in whatever you do, as you delight in the law of the Lord, you meditate on a day and night, whatever you do does prosper. It just might not be in the way that you want it to be. That's right. And I've just, he's just been faithful every step of the way, faithful mm -hmm. to his word. I could, and he's my best friend. I could just never, I could never walk Amen. away. I, I've just tasted too much to walk away. Mm. So good. So good. Well, as man, as we could, we've been talking an hour and a half. So, oh, I can I keep going. <laughs> I know. As we come to a close, does anyone have any closing thoughts to share just as we that we leave our viewers with tonight? I've always got something to say. And, oh, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I told you. Every time I step on 80. We should have had a button for you guys to push. Like, you can push the button first and then talk. Because <laughs> we're all lead singers. It's true. It's so true. Happy. I... I was gonna say, I think, oh my gosh, I lost my train of thought. Hold on, John, you go. <laughs> I'm so sorry, AD. Why don't you just tell her, just tell everybody out there to lay it down, lay it down, oh, and lay it, it, it down. It, it. The Benjamin Gates, still one of my favorite. She's still one of my favorite front women of all time. If you have not heard the Benjamin Gate, you need to go check it out. Yeah. For real, awesome music still stands. Anyway, Thank yes, you. for real, that's right. Um, I will I will end with one thing that I've said to, uh, on on a podcast with Elisa. I said it on my podcast earlier today in preparation for this. For anybody that hasn't heard me say it, I just want to encourage Christians who are feeling afraid, mm. who are feeling like if 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 these really smart pastors can deconstruct, or if these really great singers or people that love God so much, if it can happen to them, then where do I stand? And, and uh, you're, they're rightly, they're rightly shaken. shaken. Thank you, honey. They're rightly shaken. I want to encourage you. No, this does not happen, have to happen to you. And if you stand on the word of God, it will not happen to you because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can take it all the way to the bank he will not <laughs> fail you and his word will not fail you the grass withers the flowers fade but the word of god stands forever so if you stand on the word it then it won't happen to you all right so i want to encourage you not to be afraid but to stand on the word of god be encouraged god is at work read the word of god he will do an incredible work in your life amen I'll just finish with one thing, and it's really actually piggies back perfectly with what John said, and Elisa, you mentioned it as well, in, in your own experience, was just not being afraid to come to the Lord when scripture says, 
that the guy who came to the Lord said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Mm -hmm. And I just think, I mean, exactly what John's saying, like God is going to meet you in those places that scripture is tried and true and the Holy Spirit is tried and true and he loves you. So don't think for a second that you're less than because you're struggling or you're less than because you have doubts, but yeah. come fully well that we have a generous God that gave everything for you, that he loves you with obviously every fiber in his being to give you life. There's no way he's going to reject you. One of my favorite scriptures is in James where it says that God will give liberally wisdom to anyone without finding fault. And that means you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to be cleaned. You don't have to be, yeah. you know, all perfect and, and cookie cutter. Just come to God and he will liberally give you these, these answers to your questions and these wisdoms without finding fault. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. Amen. Good stuff. Anybody else got a little closing thought for us? No? I think all that's right. Beautiful. I think, what did you say, Corey? I've tasted too much to walk yeah. away. Oh, Absolutely. Man. Let's make a meme. Corey Cooper rocking out. Yes. Tasted too much <laughs> to walk That's away. Right. <laughs> oh, such good stuff. Well, I just want to thank all of you for being here tonight to have this discussion. I, I, I know we've all been kind of talking on email threads, just praying, and um, I just truly, truly hope that everybody watching, that you will sense the love we have for, I mean, because, you know, some of these deconstruction stories are, are from our friends. These are people that um, we either knew or we really loved um, as our friends and love as our friends. I shouldn't say past tense. We love as our friends. And so um, everything that we've said is, is for them, too. We love you. If you're watching this, we love you. We want you to know the love yeah. of Christ. We want you to know the love of Jesus that you can plant your feet in, that is going to be an anchor to you. It anchors you to the ground. You will not be shaken. And, you know, and that's the thing is like life comes and it shakes us. But if you're planted, then mm -hmm. then you're going to be okay. And everyone here has been through things that, that have shaken us, like deaths and trials and intellectual uh, just deconstructions. And the Lord has just been so faithful. And that's why we still believe. It's his faithfulness. It's like in Lamentations. You know, this is, this is a, a book that is, is such a rich book in the Old Testament, Lamentations, where uh, it's, you know, probably Jeremiah writing about the fall of Jerusalem and just his pouring out his grief. And yet he says, great is your faithfulness. Yes. And God throughout the ages has proven to be faithful and true. And so the book of Jude says, have mercy on those who doubt. And so, yeah. um, you know, our hope is that churches, we can become better, safer places for people to process some of those doubts and questions because there really are answers for for the intellectual doubts. But as uh, Jonathan mentioned in his question, you know, there's emotional doubt. There's different types of doubt where some of these questions are coming from. A lot of people have had tra traumatic experiences in churches or spiritual abuse. And so we just hope that this has been encouraging to you. We hope that um, you will have tasted and seen just a little bit of the beauty of the gospel and why we still believe. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. 
So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.